Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products that customers actually love. Many product managers and product marketers are using surveys incorrectly. It's really true. We like surveys because they are a relatively quick and inexpensive tool for us to use compared to other things like interviews, but we have to use them right. And while they can help us confirm what we think are the needs of customers and provide customer experience information, they're not really something that most of our customers look forward to participating in. My guest has a different experience, a really different experience, and he creates surveys that not only have insanely high response rates, but ones that actually create more loyal customers. Now imagine that, surveys as a tool to make loyal customers. He is Matt Champagne, researcher, university professor, author, serial entrepreneur, and most importantly, a survey and feedback expert. He has implemented systems in more than 600 organizations to drastically improve customer retention, learning, and performance. You'll find a written summary of our discussion along with the infographic that Matt shares, and you'll want to have that because it will make it easier to follow the discussion. All that is at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 211. Hope you enjoy the discussion. Matt, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. You're welcome, Chad. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be talking with a survey expert. So you, you have a professional life uh, worth of experience on this topic. And on a mission for a long time, we had the chance to meet a couple months ago, where I saw a presentation from you and thought, wow, we, I need to share some of this information with uh, my audience. And I think we're in for a treat. Because we do at times want to be getting information from our customers and surveying is one way to do that. So let, let's start there. Uh, why do we survey customers? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question, and very few people ask it in that way. They also don't ask, how do we survey? Because this is really a skill, and, and nobody, nobody teaches that. Uh, we all know that we should survey our customers, and people do this all the time. Of course, they'll put a poll up on Facebook. They'll, put, you know, they'll go to SurveyMonkey and, right. and try to put some questions together. They'll send email because um, they know that they need to learn from their customers, but it is a skill the way the surveys are structured. And it's been my experience now for almost 30 years that, you know, 98% or more of surveys are done incorrectly because Mm. they're just not structured the right way. They're not asking the right questions in the right way. The scales that are used don't match the questions. So the results are muddy. There's all these things that can go wrong with the survey unless you you know the the inner guts of how a, a survey is put together. Yeah, it's easy to ask questions that we think are going to give us reasonable answers. You know, so, so one problem is we might not even be asking the right questions to lead to the information that we actually need. The other problem is sometimes, and I, I just had this experience asking a question to a group that I thought sounded clear to me. Maybe ten percent of that group had a very different perspective on what I was even asking, right? And so there's kind of those just mechanics. And, and I should add that the, the way survey tools are made, they're actually made to give you 
poor surveys. And people, I, I teach a, a, a course called Spot the Traps in Your Survey Tools. And people think that's ridiculous. Like, why would they create a survey tool like SurveyMonkey or SurveyGizmo or any of the other 85 free tools out there? Why would they create a tool that does your survey wrong? I said, well, because it's backwards. Because most people, just like you said, they think of questions. Uh-huh. That's actually backwards. That's the way to not write a survey. You'd actually, I won't get too much into the weeds here, but the, that's actually the last step in the process. But if you do it backwards, you actually come up with a far better survey. So it's, it's tips like that, that, mm-hmm. that most people don't know about that are into, into surveys. Yeah, we're both PhDs, and I serve on some dissertation committees these days. And the ones that are quantitative studies often use survey questions. And one of the big problems is there just not isn't alignment. And by no means am I an expert in this area at all, right? But at least it's fairly easy for me to detect, okay, these are the hypotheses that you told me you're working towards. And these are your survey questions, and I don't quite see how those questions are going to let you assess your hypotheses. That's exactly right. And, and often you can't see it. If you're the one that created it, you, you rarely see it. But when somebody else looks at it, and I do this a lot, I've reviewed and critiqued about 7,000 surveys over the past 25 years. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at the survey and I say, oh, so you don't think this is important? They'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, of course that's important. I said, really? Because you didn't ask it. Right. And you think this is so important. And they'll say, well, it's, it's only mildly important. I said, well, you asked two questions about it, so you must think it's important. So when you're putting these questions together, just kind of piecemeal, you actually do it backwards, and therefore uh, you're not getting the, the actual results that you want to get from your, uh, from your customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously, we want to survey customers because we want to get deeper insights right, about them, and maybe there's you know, specific problems we're trying to identify. But when I saw your presentation a couple months ago that you did, one thing that caught my attention was your responder rate is so much higher for the surveys that you do than what we typically see anywhere else, right? You're getting more people to respond to surveys than what most people would be used to. I thought that was pretty amazing. And it also means that you have a different approach than to doing surveys to make this happen, right? Yeah, that, that's right. My background originally was in doing this for higher education. So when you do this in a classroom, if you went to a professor in a classroom and said, hey, I did this survey of your students and look, I got 15% response rate or I got 20% response rate, she'd throw the results in the trash. She'd say, what am I going to do with this? This isn't representative of my student. I need 60%. I need 70%. And that's what that is the threshold in that industry. And so that's what I'm used to is getting 70, 80 or more percent of responses. And if I don't get that, that's a fail. So I brought that to, uh, to the corporate side, to federal and state agencies. And they, they're like, what are you talking about? We all know that when you send out a survey, you get 3% or 5%. Mm-hmm. And I just, it just makes my head explode. I'm like, that is unacceptable because that's, it's just not representative of your people. If you send out some questions and some people don't even know what the response rate is, they say, well, I got 50 people to respond. I say, well, is that 50 out of 100? Is that 50 out of 100,000? They don't know. And therefore, you don't, you can't really interpret your results because you don't know if you're just hearing from the extremes, the people that love you, the people that have a, a real problem with you. What about the 90% in the middle that haven't responded at all? The results would be far different if you actually heard from every one of your customers. Yeah. Th- those 3% might be just the people that like doing surveys right? They might be the people that were really upset with your service and they're looking for an opportunity to tell you. But I, I think what should grab people's attention, every innovator is listening, 
dive into how is it possible to get such radically improved response rates and how do we actually structure surveys that work for us? So I want you to take us through, I know you have a few frameworks for this, take us through, how do we actually do this? How do we survey customers more effectively? The, I mean, the framework itself, I call it the nine principles of customer feedback. Okay. And what these are is just simply, uh, and I've gathered about 6 million data points over the past 25 years uh, and administered, as I said, about 7,000 surveys at 550 organizations. So over all these years, I've taken this data and continued to refine these principles, but they actually just come from psychology. And the focus is on three things, how you get the highest possible response rate, how do you get the most accurate and meaningful results, and how do you get the most engaged and loyal customers. And the principles work cause and effect to the extent you address all these principles within your survey, in in your content and how you deliver it. If you satisfy the principles, all these things are hugely positive, huge response rates, accurate information, and your people want to fill them out again and again. And people laugh when I tell them that. They're like, well, wouldn't people get survey fatigue? You know, don't they hate surveys? I said, yeah, if you do them wrong, right? if you give me one survey from a hotel chain, I won't do it. I have survey fatigue even before I fill it out. But when they fill out my surveys, because they address all these principles, because people are getting out of it what they want, they fill them out again and again. And I've done programs where people have filled out surveys daily for four weeks And still, the response rate at the end is the same as it was at the beginning. No drop-off. In fact, a slight increase because people want to get in on what's going on with how I'm addressing their feedback. That is probably surprising and flooring to a few people, right? I know when I first heard it in your previous presentation before I knew the details, I'm like, really? You're you're using surveys to actually create more loyal customers. Correct. Um, That sounds like black magic, right? (laughs) Well, and that's – so, I mean, think about it this way. Well, first off, everybody hates surveys, right? Because as they say, marketers think everything. And that's what they've done with surveys. But surveys are actually our most powerful instrument that we have. It's the only instrument we have to get into people's heads to learn what do they want and need and expect and where are the shortcomings. It's all up there. And if you properly construct the questions to draw this out, you give them the proper reward for filling out, you give them immediate feedback. These are all principles that I'm, I'm, I'm talking about here, mm-hmm. that people become engaged, they want to help, and they want to answer again and again. And we've all had that experience that we have a, a great company, there's a great restaurant, a great service, we want them to do better, we want them to stick around, we wish they would ask us, how, how, could, we, how could I make you better? We have something to tell them, because we want them to get better, but they don't ask. Or when they do ask, it's so self-serving, it's it's the questions that we get on their survey. You don't want to fill it out and you delete it, but you're like, if they would have just asked me, I could have told them how to improve. So we want our customers to stay. They want to stay. It seems like a marriage made in heaven, but it always breaks down because we don't ask our people the right questions in the right way at the right time. They feel ignored and they move on. I'm interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery, or RPM Experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher-performing product team, meeting only 75 minutes a week, with no travel required. 
one product leader. After trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of 5 to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high-performing team in just 9 weeks, 75 minutes a week, without travel. This is the system created by Chad, based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations, and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. Take us through the details. The And for listeners, you put together an infographic for us of the nine principles of customer feedback. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. So just go to the show notes for this episode and you'll see the link and details on that too. Where do we start? What's our first principle to dive into? I'll just start with this. I guess maybe from the most important, you know, from my perspective, uh, one of the principles is called uh, timing and frequency. Okay. And that is we never ask the questions when it matters. And this, uh, this it's a standard survey practice. When the, uh, when the conference is over, they hand out a survey. When the online course is over, when the training's over, when your meal's over, when your vacation's over, out comes the survey. I call that the autopsy approach. You wait till the event is over to figure out what went wrong. Well, why would anyone fill it out then? It, it doesn't mean anything to them. But the principle of timing and frequency is that you ask the questions while it still matters to that individual. You ask the questions while the course is still going on. You ask the questions while the trade show is still live. You ask the questions while they're in the middle of the event. And then they know, ah, something could be done. And this, we all know this from, you know, from college days and, you know, they hand out that instructor evaluation at the end of the year. Nobody fills it out. They just scratch, you know, circle all threes and hand it in because it's like, why would I fill this out? The course is over. What's in it for me? Right. That's what you have to ask. What's in it for me? And what's in it is when you ask the questions when it matters to that individual. Which does imply, a, I think, a higher level of responsiveness and responsibility because you're basically saying, if I get information from you now, why I can still influence your experience. Pick a meal, right? Just randomly from something you said. But if I was going to provide a survey to people between the first and second course of a meal to get their feedback, right? I'm setting an expectation that I care about what you're telling me and I'm going to use that information to make your rest of your experience better, which requires a high responsibility from us to actually take action. Yeah, that's right. And intuitively, in, in small cases like you're talking about, a great server does that. You know, we've mm-hmm. all been to these restaurants where someone like, wow, they're so attentive to detail. It's because they were actually asking questions and noticing and and changing. They were actually modifying the experience while we were still there based on us. And it's the same principles. If you apply this on a larger scale, you can't do that in online courses or at large conferences, or if you're uh, uh, handing out your uh, draft of your project or a product to people mm-hmm. to, uh, to use, you have to use survey. So it's essentially using the same principles we would do if we were one-on-one with each other then we can make modifications and make the other person happy. Surveys is simply scaling that same feeling of my voice was heard. What I said made a difference. Here's the impact that what I had to say on the process. That's why they stick around when they know that their voice was heard and how Mm -hmm. they compare to others. That's the magic behind doing surveys correctly. 
Okay. So timing and frequency is a part of that. And then that sounds like that's making a connection to feedback that you did something with their input. Exactly. So that, that ties in with principle five. I call that closing the loop, mm. sharing the results with the person who gave the feedback. So critical and totally ignored. That never happened. When you fill out, a, you get a, a survey in your inbox and you take the time to fill it out. Does anyone ever call you up and say, hey, Chad, thanks for filling out that survey. Because of what you said, we're going to make this uh, change in our program. No, right. nobody. You know, you get the automated message saying, thank you for helping us improve our products and services. So what? I want, some, I want to know, was my voice heard and how did this make a difference? And the principle five is closing the loop. And that's what we do in all our surveys is we ask a question, people respond, and then we come right back to them and say, thank you for not only thank you for responding, but here's what other people said. Here's what you said. And that's a great idea. Um, but we, we're not going to implement that. You can even tell people you're not going to accept their feedback. And they will still love you for it. And that's what the data has shown over and over again. They just want to know that their voice was heard. Mm -hmm. And if you can share with them what other people said, how they compare to others, how their feedback might have been similar or different, that's when they'll say, where's that next survey? And you ask the next question. And then you close the loop and you share. And they say, where's the next survey? Out it comes. I call it the survey conversation. People Mm -hmm. don't want to leave the conversation when what they have to say is being acknowledged. They see what an impact it has, how they compare to others. They'll keep filling them out over and over again. That's part of the magic of the nine principles. Yeah, it is very much like establishing kind of this asynchronous discussion. You're valuing their opinion and you're telling them what you're going to do with information, what you did with the information that they gave you. That's right. And, and who leaves a good conversation? Right. So imagine using this. Um, we do this a lot with people's email marketing, asking a question closing the loop, asking another question. Mm -hmm. And we find over again, the the engagement rates are huge. People get so that the amount of unsubscribes is minuscule because of that fact. Why would you leave (laughs) this conversation? You keep getting out of it information that helps you as the person filling out the survey. Good. Okay. So time and frequency, closing the loop. What's another principle? Uh, I call it internal incentives. And what that simply means is uh, rule number one of psychology, people are different. So what would motivate them to answer your questions? And the mistake that's usually made is people say, okay, well, we'll have people fill out the survey and then we'll enter their name in some drawing to win some you know, electronic device they already own two of or something. And like, no, 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 no. You give people a choice. The first incentive is closing the loop. And I've shown over and over again that that actually is a superior incentive to any monetary gift, any lottery, uh, you know, any handout, because mm-hmm. that's what people really want to know. But if you're going to give an incentive, that's where it comes from, the information that you've gathered already. So, hey, if you'll fill out this survey, I'll let you know what others thought, and I'm going to send you this summary of the results. It's internal to the questions themselves. It's giving people information they couldn't get anywhere else. It's the results. It's the answers. It's how other people feel about this product, about this service, about the experience. And uh, internal incentives are another one of those principles that boosts response rates and makes your customers. My motto is keep your customers forever. That's the name of my podcast. That's, that's my goal. How do you keep your customers forever? You do it by closing the loop and sharing internal incentives. 
Okay. So we're not talking about different prizes for different people per se, right? Like I don't care about the iPad at all, but I, I am motivated much more by is my input going to be taken seriously and how does it get, how does it get reflected in the product in the future? Well, and here's a, a big bonus on that. I, I do this myself. Uh, when I do give a gift, I'll tell folks here, I have a couple of questions for you. When you fill this out, I'll tell them ahead of time, I've got three gifts for you. I've got uh, this training course. I have uh, this you know, set of uh, a checklist of 10 things. I'll give them three options. Hmm. Pick your gift and they'll click on one of those three gifts and it leads them to the, to the survey. So not only will they fill it out, not only do we get the high response rate, but look what I just did. Now I know what they like best. Mm-hmm. And from that, I can craft some other offers. I can help them by knowing if you had a choice of one of these three things, what do you like best? And that gives me such valuable information. Okay. have a whole nother tangent. I want to go down on that later, but we'll have to save that probably for a different conversation about how do you segment up your target audience, right? And serve their needs better. Maybe some other listeners are tracking it with me on that, but stick it to this topic. Okay. So we got three principles done. What's another principle for better surveys? The why, I call it the why, it's a single purpose. And this is an error that's made on almost every survey is you telling people, you know, here's the purpose of my survey is to, you know, learn what you think about your experience, uh, you know, on the cruise ship. You just got back from a cruise and uh, we want to know about this. But then as you're filling out the questions, they're asking you about your cruise and then they're asking you about some other unrelated stuff. And then they're like, uh, how much money do you make? And do you have decision-making authority? And then we're like, all right, I'm out of here. You right. know, I, I see where this is going. People try to put every purpose. It's like, we only have one chance to ever talk to our customers ever again. We got to pile in every question from every department. It's such a mistake. Just focus on what is a single purpose. Whatever that single purpose is, you craft just a couple of questions around it. Think of it as a survey conversation. You don't have to ask every question at once. You ask one question, maybe two questions. They respond. You close the loop. You ask your next question. The mistake is people think people are going to get over-surveyed, but that's just not what the data says. It's not what the theory shows. You ask, uh, focus all your questions on a single purpose, and you will see your response rates skyrocket. As a survey taker, I'm less suspicious if they all make sense. Because if I'm taking a survey and I come across a question that I'm like, you don't need to know that for the purpose you've told me, I tend to just stop and I don't complete the survey, right? Exactly. Yep, that, that is spot on. And that's why I say each one of these principles, if they're satisfied, lead to those benefits, such as high response rate, mm-hmm. because we track that all the time. Where do people drop off in a survey? And unless this is a smooth ride, um, I, I compare it sometimes. There was an old show that used to be on called uh, American Gladiators. Yeah, you know where they have to run through this obstacle course, and they're you know the, it was just this really. And I, so that's how people treat their surveys. It's like they're challenged. I dare you to finish this survey. I'm going to make this survey so long, so convoluted with all these different purposes that, and eventually people just are shaken off and they they are disqualified and they stop doing it. But you don't want that. You want a smooth. One question leads to the other, leads to the, none of this branching. You know, if they say this, then this. And people get, uh, I think, too clever on the survey writing. You want a nice, smooth experience so they get to the end and then they get what it is you promised. Mm-hmm. And this sounds related to another principle on your infographic, which is precise content. Yeah, that's that's huge. The, the, the what, what are the questions to ask? How do you ask the right questions in the right way? 
I started writing this up and it actually turned into a book. <laughs> it was a, I call it the survey playbook. And it, it, it's, it's so involved. I, I took the 25 most popular errors hmm. and put them in this book. And it's, it's used in classrooms. It's used by training organizations. It's a great how-to guide because you'll see the mistakes in there. For example, one of the, the errors that people make uh, and it's re- it's related to what you just said is is asking irrelevant questions or asking questions that can't be changed. And this happens all the time. You're at some event and they'll say, uh, "Where should we have the event next year?" And you know darn well it's going to be in Atlanta <laughs> next year. Like, well, why are you asking me? We already know. Or who do you want the speakers to be? Well, we already know who they are. And people will stop filling it out again. It's it's a it's a hit on your response rate when people say you're wasting my time. You're right. asking questions that I know uh, are already answered, or even worse, you're asking me questions that you should already know the answers. And I see this, it's, it's, it's not seen by a lot of people, but I've seen uh, surveys from folks who uh, are surveying their audience of people who have bought their courses. Mm-hmm. And you know, question one on the survey, <coughs> what's your first name? You're, you're like, serious? I just bought this course. Uh, question two, what's your, what's your email? And you're like, really? The email that you just sent this survey to, is right. that what you're asking for? <clears throat> Delete. I'm done. And this happens all the time that you're insulting people right. by asking questions that you should already know, the, or at least they think you should know the answers to these. That's just one example of the many, many uh, errors in content that come up. Yep. Okay. So precise content, asking the right questions and, and not upsetting your audience, basically, by asking questions that aren't relevant. Yeah, that's and and that's a huge one. That's I I mean, I teach courses on that. That's that's something that that takes time. I think that's the most uh, deepest of Mm -hmm. the of the principles. Yeah, Uh, but one that's relevant to everybody that they could change immediately is principle seven about training respondents. Hmm. And the error that's made is we just assume that everybody gives good feedback, and so we just ask a question, an open ended question, expect them to give us really deep, meaningful, impactful, relevant responses. And people don't. And, and we should know this because we deal with this all the time. If you're going on a trip, you might look on TripAdvisor and you see people have reviewed some hotel and one person gave it three stars and they just went on a rant about how bad they were treated at the front desk. And we discount that, right? We say, well, that's not really good feedback. But then somebody else gave it four stars and they go through about the the parking and the lighting and the security and the breakfast and the management and softness of their bed. And we're like, wow, that's great feedback. And we make a decision based on that feedback. So Mm -hmm. we know some people give good feedback and some don't. So principle seven says, train your people how to answer in a way that would be useful to you. Don't just say, Hey, do you have any comments? That's probably the worst question to ever ask because people will write things that you can't change. (laughs) So they've given feedback and they say, oh, Chad, I I think we should host this event on Saturday morning instead. And you're like, well, that's crazy. We can't do that. But you asked and they and, and they gave feedback and they're like, well, why didn't you address my feedback? So now they're upset. So you never want to ask an open ended question like that. You always want to frame it. So you're getting to some specificity. Um, and, and a lot of surveys have this like name one uh, thing that we could improve mm-hmm. about this. Don't just say about improve, but what could we improve about the promptness of our delivery? Or what could we improve about the packaging? 
So you're focusing your people. That's why I call it training. You're actually just giving some guidance and it helps them to focus. It saves them time and it helps you in the end to be able to have interpretable, meaningful feedback. Mm -hmm. That's really powerful because I'm sure there's some product managers listening who just thought, you mean we shouldn't be asking that question at the end of our surveys? Do you have any other ideas, any other comments, right? Uh, yeah, I tell people just wipe that off. Don't, don't yeah. ever include that. It should always be, do you have any comments about right. this? Because we're thinking about what can we improve. We're thinking about our roadmap and what we're planning on doing next. There's probably very specific things that we would like feedback on that we should ask around those themes as opposed to that general purpose catch-all area at the end of the survey. And it seems like a good idea. That's, that's so much of the mistakes made on surveys. Like, well, it seems like a good idea, or I see everybody else doing it, but right. it's everyone's doing it wrong. And then we just, it's just been, and I've been in this for almost 30 years now. So things are far worse now than they ever were, which is really disappointing because my mission has long been to rid the world of annoying and poorly constructed surveys. And I'm a total fail because they are <laughs> far worse now with the uh, availability of, of, of survey tools. And- well, that's the thing, right? Anyone can make a survey and we're not given any good guidance on starting with that. So you're chipping away at the problem. It's just that the tools that make it easy for us to do a bad job have proliferated to, uh, for everyone to have access to. Keep, keep addressing the problem. What else stands out as a, you have nine principles. I don't know if I have time to hit all nine, but in addition to training respondents, what's, where else do you want to go? The remaining three, I think, are, are grouped together. They're not. They're they're very specific. They're about uh, who gets to see the results, about participation. Hmm. It's about how your survey is delivered, and it's uh, about the outcomes. But those are more uh, technical, depending on what sorts of devices your people are using to fill out the surveys and who gets to see the results. Uh, so there's some some deeper topics. So I kind of uh, group those last three together as kind of the icing on the cake as to, uh, you know, that principle about, uh, I call it delivery mode, because people do respond differently depending on whether they, you know, using their phone to respond Mm -hmm. by paper or by, uh, by computer. But it all again has to do with, you want to have the most meaningful results. So I advise people on those concepts as well. Okay. Very good. And I want to go back to something you said in the beginning all of this about having more effective surveys and interacting with our customers through survey more effectively. So we can increase our response rate, we can get more meaningful results, and we can actually have more loyal customers through this process, which is the key one that stands out to me. The, the other ones are incredible, right? High response rates, you gotta be kidding, right? We actually, data we can act on, wonderful. But thinking about surveys, instead of aggravating our customers, which I think is often you were talking about, we put all the questions in one survey because we think we only get one chance. Thinking about them in terms of, we can actually use surveys to help us create more loyal customers. That's really powerful. That's, that's right, because mostly surveys are done. The result of a survey is to annoy people and to drive them away. And we all know examples of this. One I heard recently from a, a buddy who is a... Uh, him and his team have written almost a hundred books now. I mean, he's a prolific author. He got a survey from Amazon and he's like, yes, I am just the person to fill out this survey. I'm so glad they asked. It was a long survey. He took a lot of time. He filled out all the questions. He's like, this is really going to help them improve their services. And then he got the automated response. Thank you for your time. And he, and he said, oh, 
I just wasted an hour of my time on results that nobody will ever see. If only they would have asked me, because I am the guy that could have helped their company. But instead, they just sent a general message. He was a nobody and his results are who knows where. And it's like, that's the danger of a survey is is driving people away. And that's why Mm -hmm. surveys have such a bad name is they're used poorly. But if you can use survey correctly, it draws people in. They want to respond again and again. They want to help you. And that's why I use it to keep your customers forever. Do it correctly. Mm-hmm. Keep your best customers, your clients, your members, your attendees, your participants, whoever your people are, keep them forever or do it incorrectly and annoy and drive people away. It's, it's, it's that really that simple. Lots of good tips for doing it effectively. And again, the infographic will be in the show notes to make it this easy to look through and see all nine principles and details of those. And as listeners know, I love a good innovation quote. What did you bring us and tell us what that one means to you? Oh, sure. Um, I, well, I first started looking at all the, uh, the Jim Rohn quotes because, you know, you can name a uh, half dozen of those. Uh, but there's a fellow named Dan Sullivan who's probably coached more entrepreneurs than most anybody on the planet. Hmm. And his, uh, he has a, a saying that is uh, always make your future bigger than your past. And it's so powerful when you think of it, because we all know people who have huge pasts. They always look back and reflect on the good old days and how they were stars and in, in school. And they're always looking behind them. Their past is like this big burden and that they drag along with them. And when they do that, their future is so small. Hmm. And we know people who make their future small. They're like, well, I'm getting close to retirement. Uh, I'm kind of winding down. And that's, that's no way to live. So the, his, his advice is to make your future bigger than your past. Drop the baggage from your past. All you need to learn is some lessons from it. You don't need every memory and bad mistake you made and every judgment you wish you could have done over. You just need the lessons that lightens the load and make your future huge. Plan out what you're going to do, what you'd want to do with your life, and always focus on the future. And And that's really the way to, to live a good life. Yeah, that's really good. It kind of reflects on that mindset. Do you have a fixed growth mindset or and what's the other one? I just Kind of a scarcity. Yeah, I'm, try, I'm drawing blank on the actual phrase now. But the, the idea that can the future be different and better? It's kind of that uh, f- financial disclaimer that past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance, right? That's and right. the same is true for us. We should not look at the past and have that limit what we can do in the future. And I don't do this all the time. I don't practice what I preach. But I, like, I do sometimes as I look back and I say, I'm, today is, is day one. Mm-hmm. of my life. But I have 50 years of experience and knowledge. So when a problem comes up, I'm going to hammer that problem with 50 years of of force. It's something I couldn't do when I was 16. I had like a little toy hammer. It's like I didn't you know, have enough experience and knowledge, but now I can start each day. And that's what I bring from my past is all the, the knowledge and the learning to attack each thing that, that goes on in the now. Excellent. And you have several resources for listeners to learn more about using surveys effectively, creating the more loyal customers through surveys, getting information that we need to build better products for them. Where's the best place for listeners to learn more about you and your work? Well, I, I set, did set up, set up a uh, infographic at this mm-hmm. website. It's matthewchampagne.com. That's my home site, matthewchampagne.com. But put slash innovator mm-hmm. and you'll uh, see a copy of the 
uh, nine principles that we talked about today. So you can kind of follow along and look at the results. And it'll ask for your email as these things usually do, but I'll simply send you one email uh, as a follow-up to see if there's uh, any discussion you have about those uh, principles and, and ask about what you're doing with your surveys. I, you know, to me, surveys are, I know it's just this little tiny niche of a thing, uh, but you know, it's, it's my thing. And I do have a lot of tough love to deal out as you can already <laughs> tell in this, in this interview, but it's all to make your surveys the best possible tools so you can keep your customers forever. Yeah. And, and as people that care about creating products that customers love, we want the product experience overall to be good. And I'm sure, I, I hope there's listeners right now going, gosh, I know our marketing department is running surveys to our customers. That might actually be aggravating them some. Maybe we can rework that to make that an experience that actually creates more loyal customers. You know, the reason to talk to you is because this is your thing, right? For 30 years, you're the data scientist who has dug deep into the psychology and looked at how to make surveys a better experience. So that was matthewchampagne.com slash innovator. That will be the link in the show notes. And then other resources are at matthewchampagne.com, right? Your book there, other, other resources you have. Correct. That's right. Excellent. Matt, I appreciate your time. Thanks for bringing us a different perspective on surveys that I think most people will be surprised to hear that they can be a better tool for us and result in more loyal customers for us too. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on, Jay. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where product leaders and managers make their move to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products that customers love. Find the notes of our discussion with Matt and that infographic at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 211. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.